Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, today we're going to be continuing through 1 John in chapter 2, in verses 3 through 11. If you have your Bible and would like to turn there, uh, please do so. And while, you're, while you do, I'd like to share with you a story that I found uh, from a Reverend Steve Cole that he recounts from his early days in ministry. He said, years ago, when I was candidating at my first church, we were staying in a house in a remote area of Southern California mountains while the owners were away. We were having dinner at another home when we received a call informing us that an escaped convict had ditched his stolen car in the driveway of the house where we were staying and had set out on foot through the property. We decided to spend the night at the home where we were having dinner. The next morning, I called the sheriff and explained our situation and asked if it was safe to take my pregnant wife back to the house. He assured me that it was perfectly safe. I said, fine, but I would like the sheriff to escort us into the house and check some of the hiding places on the property, just to make sure. When we arrived at the property, there were three or four cars of officers wearing their bulletproof vests and loading their shotguns. We later learned that the convict had made his way to another road, hitchhiked, and killed the driver who picked him up. The sheriff was sure that it was safe for us to go back to the house unarmed, but he wasn't really sure. And when the safety of his men was on the line, he wanted to be really sure. There are some things in our lives that we want to be really sure about, because so much rides on the outcome. There are times when our money or our reputation or our life is on the line, and we want to be as certain as we can about the outcome. One of these issues is our salvation. We do not want to gamble with our eternity. So last week, we read 1 John chapter 1, where John recounts to us the message that he heard from Jesus about God, that God is light and the world is in darkness. But because of Jesus who purifies our sins, we are able to walk in God's light. But even in the light, John makes very clear that we still have sin in our life. But when we sin, we have an advocate who stands before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has paid the price for all of our sin. So after setting forth this message about God's nature and our sin and God's grace, John in chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, goes on to tell us how those of us who have truly experienced that grace can be assured that we are truly right with God. And he gives us tests so that we can be assured of where we are. So if you'd stand, I'm going to read John, 1 John, Chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not know what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Pray with me. Father, thank you for John's words, and thank you for his intent, too, that we may know that we know that we are saved. Please, as we go through these verses, help us to examine our hearts, examine ourselves, and hopefully to go away from this place, each of these people, assured of their salvation, so that they can feel the joy and the rest in that assurance. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. You beat me to it. John in these verses tells us three ways that we can examine ourselves in order to know that we have come to know God the Father through Jesus the Son. So what does it mean to really know God? There's a difference between knowing about a person and really knowing that person. I may know many things about our president by reading the news or watching TV, but I don't know him personally. I've never met him or spent any time with him. And in the same way, you may know a lot about God, but unless you've stepped into his light and entered into a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, you do not know God personally. Lots of unbelieving scholars today know a lot more about Christ than many Christians may. But there's a difference between that kind of knowledge and this wisdom that we gain from having a personal relationship with Jesus. Martin Luther said the life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. It's one thing to say Christ is a Savior and a Lord. It's quite another thing to say he is my Savior and my Lord. The devil can say the first, the true Christian alone can say the second. John writes in verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if. So we see there is a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing that we know Jesus. John's writing to assure those who are saved but doubt. And he's also writing to those who think they are saved but really are not. He makes it clear that there's some who claim to know him but are mistaken. They make claims of salvation, but they're still lost in darkness. So there are those who are saved but not confident, and those who are confident but not saved. And the goal of these verses is to reassure all those who are saved but not confident, and hopefully to prompt change in those who are confident but not saved, so that we all may be saved and very confident in our salvation. John Calvin said the knowledge of God is efficacious. Knowing God is efficacious. It's valuable, it's effective, worthwhile, and it's useful. We cannot truly know God without being changed. And John here offers three evidences of our salvation. Three ways that knowing God manifests itself in the life of a believer. So that we may know that we know him. 
We know that we know him by our obedience, the fruit in our life, and by our love. So in 1 John 2, 3 through 5, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So the first way we can be assured of our salvation is if we keep his commandments, if we're obedient to follow his commandments. John 14, 15 said, if you love me, Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. In Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, the Lord says, speaking of the new covenant, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So when we know God, he will give us a new heart. And our heart of stone that was hard and unresponsive to his will and his love will be replaced by a heart of flesh that is moved to both love for him and obedience to him. And then in verse 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In the New King James, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So if we know God, his spirit is within us and it's causing us, it's making us walk in obedience to him. It's impossible to know God and not do as he commands. John is very clear about this in verse 4. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. John is not one to mince words. He says he's a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So if someone is not walking in obedience to God's commands, he does not know God. This doesn't mean that a Christian is perfect and never fails. John's very clear with that in the previous chapter. We are all sinners. But this, but a Christian is generally obedient to God's commands. He knows his will and he does his best to follow his commands. And when we fail, as we all do, we repent and seek his forgiveness. John says that a disobedient person does not know God. That one who lives in habitual disobedience does not know God. And he goes on to say at the end of this verse, the truth is not in him. And this is why the knowledge, this is why his knowledge is not really knowledge of God. The truth, the knowledge, is not in him. He carries it on the surface. He may know about God, but the truth of God has never sunk into his life. He's never absorbed the truth that he claims to know. When a soldier comes back from combat, he may say to civilians who stayed at home, you don't know what war is like. And what he means is there is a knowledge that only comes from experience. There is a knowing that only comes from taking a reality into yourself and tasting it fully. So the knowledge John has in view in verse 4 is an experience of Christ and God the Father in which they are taken to the depths of our life and they change the way we live. One reason John was writing was to address some who were saying, if you know the love of God, you don't have to worry about following God's law. 
But John says very clearly, if you know the love of God, you won't be able to go on in habitual sin. Because if you really believe that God loves you, then all the commands are arbitrary rules. They're the counsel of a loving Father who wants the best for us. John says obedience is not optional. But he also says that obedience is entirely worth it. He encourages us. He encourages us in the first part of verse 5. He said, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So if we obey, God's love will be made complete in our lives. God wants us to experience his love completely, the way he wants us to experience it. God wants us to know that he loves us. John 14, in his gospel, John 14, 21 through 23, John Quotes Jesus who says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. If we keep his commands, we will be loved by the Father, and Jesus will be known to us. If we love and obey his teaching, the Father will love us, and he and, his, he and Jesus will make their home with us. And that's an amazing thing. So John says one way that we know, that the, fa- we know the Father, we know that we know the Father and walk in his light, is if we obey his commandments, and in obeying his commandments, we are blessed by God's presence in our lives. The second way John says we know that we know God is by having fruit in our lives. The end of verse 5 and into verse 6, he says, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John says that if we're living or the Greek abiding in him, we will live, we will walk as he walked, as he lived. He is our supreme example for living. Jesus showed us how we should live in total dependence on the Father and in complete submission to his will, no matter how difficult that may be. While no one can live a perfect life like Jesus did, everyone who claims to live in Christ should have the same focus and direction that he did. We should not be acting independently from God's will, but in total dependence to him. We should not live to please ourselves apart from God, but do all things to please him. While we may never walk perfectly as Jesus walked, it should be our constant aim and effort to do so. Dr. James Roskup, in his book, Abiding in Christ, sums up the concept of abiding, of walking, in Christ's path in three ways. He says, abiding involves a person relating himself to Christ the vine, to his person, to his purpose. Rejecting attitudes, words, actions, or interests in which Christ's word reveals he cannot share. And receiving the quality essence of Christ's imparted life for authentic fulfillment. So here the word for walk, or live, or abide, is the same word that we see when he talks about the vine and the branches in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. 
Christ says to his disciples, remain in me, abide in me, walk in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So so whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever wants to walk or abide in him must walk as Jesus did. If we are abiding in him, we will be living like him. And as a branch grows from the vine, it draws its energy and it draws its life from that vine. We can't bear fruit that is not born by the vine. So when we think about the fruit that Jesus' life produced, and our life should be producing, we go naturally, I think, to Galatians 5, 20 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit. And we see that the fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we are in him, we should share the values and live as he lived. We should be becoming more and more like Christ as we grow in our knowledge of him. We should be more patient, more faithful, more loving, more kind. These fruits should be evident and growing in our life. And if there's no evidence of fruit, Christ is not in you. So we should be obedient, we should be fruitful. And the last thing John gives us is love. We should have love, the love of God, the love for others in our life. In verses 7 through 11, he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have seen since the beginning, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. John is writing an old command, and he's writing a new command. In one sense, the command to love is ancient. The command to love your neighbor is part of Mosaic law. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. But it's also a new command, because now we are able to experience God's love in a new way. In the Old Testament, the Israelites' relation to God was really based on their merit, how well they could obey the law. And they were sinners just like us. So in the tabernacle and the temple, a veil was drawn between them and God. Because for them to be in God's presence, to see him, was, was for God was the presence of God in sinful men, was death. Thank you, Don. So the Israelites did what God commanded because they respected him and they feared him. But now our relationship with God is based on Christ's performance and not our own. Christ's blood has purified us. His sacrifice has atoned for our sin. Now we do what God commands because he loves us as a father. We obey not as a servant who fears punishment, but as a son or daughter who loves their father and wants to please him. 
When speaking to his disciples before the Last Supper, Jesus tells them in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you may love one another, so you must love one another. So now we are to love as Jesus loves, as a son who loves his father, and as a son who, whom a father loves. We are to take that love and we are to invest it in each other and in others. And John continues and says he's writing a new command. And its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The truth of love was seen in Jesus' life. He is our example for how to love. He was the fulfillment of God's command to love. His love was divine, and it was sacrificial. And the darkness of this world is passing because Jesus' love began to shine a new light in the world. Isaiah looked forward to the day when the future would be lit up by God, the day when the whole world would be in God's light. In Isaiah 60, 19 through 20, he says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall, be no, more, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. So Isaiah looked forward to the day when the Lord's light and glory would be our source of unending joy, there would be no darkness, when all would be light. No more sin, no more misery, all would be righteousness and joy in the everlasting light of God's glory. And John tells us here, the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. In his gospel, John writes in John 8-12, through 12, 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus tells his followers, you are the light of the world. Jesus came as the light of the world, and it pointed men towards God. Now we who, we who remain on this earth and continue to live in Jesus are the light that remains here on this world. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. When we are obedient and fruitful and demonstrate Jesus' love to a fallen world, we are different. We shine among them like stars in the sky. Through our obedience and life and love, we are the ones who are pointing to God, just like our Savior did. As we live like Christ, we shine like stars in the sky. But we must be careful in our thinking. John is not saying that obedience or fruit or love can earn salvation. We cannot merit God's light. John is saying that if we have been saved through Christ in the light of his kingdom, we are already shining. This is evidence that we have been saved. 
Like Isaiah, we look forward to, to the day when the Lord will be our everlasting light, and our days of mourning will come to an end. One day God's light will cover the world, and that light, he tells us, has now been kindled in Jesus. And it now smolders in those of us who live in him and live as he did. As we take the light into the world, we seek to transform others into lights who love like Jesus loved. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So one reason the commandment to love is called new in verse 8 is that it's a commandment to be the new light of the world. The command to love is an ancient one. But now when John says the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, the light is new. It came first in Jesus, and now John says it should be visible in everyone who claims to live in him, who claims to follow him. So if you picture the rising sun, eventually the day of light that Isaiah wrote of is going to dawn over the whole world. But even now, the first rays of light are seen through the love of God in Jesus Christ and all those who live in him. So the love commandment is an old one, because it's what God has always wanted from us. But the love commandment is also a new one, because it's now a commandment that we can live up to through Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit in us. We can join that breaking light of the new dawn that's rising over the horizon. And then John continues in verse 9 with a very practical test of this love in our life. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John says anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. They didn't come into the light, it's still in the darkness. They didn't come into the light and slip back or stumble back into the darkness. They were never in the light to begin with. You cannot have Christ's divine light in the heart, in your heart, the truth of Jesus ruling your heart, where like Paul says in Romans 5, God's love poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit and still be living a life characterized by hatred. It cannot happen. So if your life is characterized by hatred, you are still in the darkness. You have never come into the light. There's no middle ground here for John. He emphasizes this again in verse 11. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. In Ephesians 4, 18 through 19, Paul tells us they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The darkness has separated them from God, and God is love, so love is not in them. And their hearts are hard. They have not received the heart of flesh promised to us in Ezekiel. They're not sensitive to God's leading and his love. 
They walk around in darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Hatred blinds them. And when a man hates, he's focused only on himself and his desires. Hatred is by its nature selfish, and it leads to sin. When a man is in darkness separated from God's light, he cares only about what he perceives in himself. What he perceives benefits himself. He is blind and can't think or see beyond that. He hate, his hate directs him inward. But when we live in the light, we see the need and the pain around us. And so the love of the believer should direct us outward. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. When we care for others, this is one of the proofs that we have come out of the darkness. We aren't blindly focused inwardly on our selfish desires. We love, we empathize, we seek to help those around us. We put others' needs before our own. John says we need to take a look at our lives and consider if our lives are characterized by love or by hatred and selfishness. This kind of love is not something that comes from us. So if this love is in our lives, it's evidence of what God has done and is doing through us. It's evidence that of the change God has worked and is working in us. This kind of love is only possible if Christ made us a new creation and is working in our hearts. So if this love for others exists in our life, then we are God's children. Again, we don't love to merit eternal life. We love because we already have eternal life. We don't love to earn eternal life. We love because we have it. Obedience, fruit, love are not something we produce in ourselves in order to be saved. They're evidence that we are already saved. So to sum this up, John says in these verses that he wants us to honestly examine our lives. We should think about, firstly, is our life characterized by obedience to God or disobedience? Are we in his will or are we opposed to God's will? Secondly, he says, is there evidence that we're living in Christ? Are we connected to him as the branch is connected to the vine? Is there fruit being produced? Love, joy, peace, kindness. Or is our life being dominated by the flesh? Who Paul says the acts are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord. And I'm not talking here again about a momentary failure followed by repentance and forgiveness from God. But we need to think, is our life characterized by the things of the Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the flesh? And lastly, is there a love that wasn't there before you knew Jesus? Is hatred, the selfishness, the hatred in our life being replaced by love? and selfishness being replaced by caring. Are you a light that's shining in the darkness like a star in the night sky? Do you carry with you the love and the light of Jesus? The Apostle John wants every believer to have the peace and the joy that comes when we know that we have come to know him. And I hope that in examining yourself today and this week, you'll find that you know that you have come to know him and can rest in that peace and assurance and hope. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. And all of us want to be assured that we are in you walking with Jesus. Thank you for John's words that can give us that assurance. Help us to examine our hearts, examine our lives, to be assured that we are walking as you will in obedience to your commands, that our fruit is growing, that we are more loving, more full of peace, more patient. And lastly, that there is a love in our lives that could only come from Jesus, that the Spirit has poured into our lives. Thank you for these tests, and thank you for the assurance that we can look at these and we can know that we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 